bum bum bottom 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 bum
No, I still me- I messed up the pronunciation, Billy. Tanana Reeve Dew. Tanana Reeve Dew. I don't know why I can't say that name. I really apologize, and I should probably edit all of this out. But we're doing it from the road, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> Tanana Reeve Dew. No? Damn it. Okay. Look, sometimes you get a wrong name stuck in your head, and, and it's I, hard I to just can't, get out. It I becomes a verbal tip. Yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing, though. Um, but so we had a amazing conversations with amazing people and all of those are going to be at the Itmon Chatcast. And like I said last week on the episode, what I wanted to do with this bonus ep was just give you a little bit of a, a hint of what the Overlook Film Festival is, similar to what Lisa and I did when we went to the Sundance Film Festival. And don't worry, I've got some comic book talk for you. Because we've been in the car for a long, 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 long time, I snuck away from Billy's uh, uh, attention, and I dove into Art Adams's Creatures Features comic, which contains a really rad adaptation of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, but first, Overlook Film Festival, Billy. Where do we want to start? Uh, well, let's let's start with Adam Egypt Mortimer, okay? Uh, because I think that there's a direct tie-in to folks who would be tuning in for the comic books couples counseling. Yes, for sure, for sure. So Daniel isn't real. Is and we're not going to go. We're not going to give no any spoilers. spoilers beyond the opening scene. Sure. All right. Uh, Daniel isn't real. Is about this kid whose parents are going through a nasty breakup, and while they're busy arguing in the kitchen, he sneaks out of their brownstone, goes walking down the uh, neighborhood, and runs into a crime scene where a guy has just. Uh, Rampaged with a shotgun and killed a whole bunch of people. And when he sees this traumatic aftermath of violence, there's a, uh, a fissure in his mind and he has an imaginary friend named Daniel. Yep. And that's the basic premise. Yep. And then, I mean, the story picks up a little bit later when he gets back into college after he sort of puts the imaginary friend away and yeah. all the complications that might ensue with... The really cheap and, I would say, inaccurate comparison uh, that Daniel... Are we doing real? it? Yeah, we're doing it. All right. Is that it's an insane version of Drop Dead Fred. Yeah. So if you've ever seen that Phoebe Cates film, yeah, it's an imaginary friend who comes back in adulthood. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, Adam's point when we talked with him was that, you know, Drop Dead Fred's a great comedy, but, you know, he's really looking to explore some heavier issues with this. So if it sounds like a serious movie, I mean, it, it really is, and it gets into some heavy stuff, but it's extremely rewarding. And I think my favorite film of the festival... Uh, without a doubt, my favorite film of the festival. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that is a good film to start on for CBCC listeners? Well, because he also writes comic books. He does write comic books. If uh, the name is not familiar, he wrote uh, the miniseries Ballistic, which was illustrated by Derek Robertson. The, no big deal. No big deal. The guy who only, you know, co-created The Boys, which is about to blow up with its television series. And he's uh, close friends with Grant Morrison, who we've discussed on this podcast when we were talking about Scott and Gene during the new X-Men uh, episode. And yeah, I did not know that going into the conversation, and when you listen to that interview on the Itmon Chatcast, you'll 
audibly hear my mind explode <laughs> and my embarrassment of not realizing exactly who Adam Egypt Mortimer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that happens sometimes when you're uh, talking with folks at a film festival. Sure. You, you're not ever sure who's going to be there and who's going to be there to participate in conversation with you. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to do your background research. But gosh, it, it, you know, even if films aren't your thing, you got to tune in to hear Brad's brain explode because <laughs> it's, it's audible. I was wearing uh, my uh, Superboy shirt at the time. And, uh, you know, he, he picked up on that. And that's He's like, oh, I've got a fanboy in this room. I'm going to blow his mind by telling him that I know Grant Morrison. <laughs> I think that's how it went down. That's basically how it went down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really cool. And Daniel Isn't Real is an incredibly um, visual experience. And so, you know, I think if you're a fan of the illustration side of comic books, which, of course, you are, you'll pick up on a lot of really rad images. And, in fact... Some uh, shots in the film feel like comic book panels. And he talks about it in the interview. He's directly inspired by comic books and Grant's work. Uh, so, yes, keep an eye out for Daniel Isn't Real. After that, let's go with uh, Grady Hendrix, Pickbacks yeah. from Hell. Yeah. Uh, how would you explain this event? So, Obsession. And a need to contextualize the things that we sort of swim around in as we're growing up. You know, so Grady Hendrix, um, he has dove into, uh, like, the genesis of young adult fiction. Right. And sort of, like, what that looked like and the evolution of it from uh, 1977 with Go Ask Alice... Uh, all the way up until uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in 1997. Uh, quite a swath of, of content. But a pretty significant 20-year chunk of uh, evol evolution of like uh, young adult fiction. Absolutely, absolutely. And he presents it as this stage show, and it's like a one-man play, basically. Yeah, I guess I guess with that description, you're like, oh, okay, so he talks about the history of books. It's not dry. But it is not dry. Yeah, yeah. He has this whole segment where he talks about Christopher Pike novels as if God is relating Christopher Pike plots to Christopher, and he is in the role of Christopher, and he's like, you know, I can write that book, God, I can write that book. <laughs> and uh, eventually God's like, I gotta back away from this dude because his plots are too crazy. He's taken my ideas too far. I mean, that's the great thing about Christopher Pike novels, though, is they are totally mad. Uh, totally mad. I don't think I realized that. I never really read Christopher Pike yeah. novels as yeah. a kid, but hearing Grady describe the plots, it's delightful. I mean, and, you know, I think it's important with any sort of thing like this that, you know, it, it's not Grady poking fun at these things so much no, as they've no, gone no, before. No, 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 no. Um, you know, e even the things that aren't great, I think that it's clear that he takes sort of delight in charting their role in the evolution yeah, of he fiction. He has a true love for this stuff, and I was trying to get him to say that <laughs> that his that this thing that he has created is kind of like the MST3K of uh, criticism. Sure, and yeah. he was like, "No, I <laughs> love this stuff. This is not ironic love. This is true passion." Yeah, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah. This is this is pure, pure, uh, warm, good vibrations towards the YA 
concept. But I, I think we have to sort of set the, the like the context for this conversation that we're having, or at least the setting of it. Uh-huh. Oh, because, you're right, okay, right, 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 right. So, you know, we're in New Orleans, we're in the French Quarter, we're at the Hotel Peter and Paul, which is on their property, uh, restore not even a restored church, but no. a repurposed, repurposed, like yeah. cathedral light church. Yeah. So you yeah. go into this room and, and it's maybe forty feet tall. You know, it's echoey. It's massive. It's massive. You don't have to describe it to them, uh, Billy, because this is the church that uh, Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum go to, to in Twenty One Jump Street, where their police. You know, their secret police organization, Meet Ice Cube. Right, yeah. yeah. So This go, is the church. A, that movie's a lot of fun. Definitely go check out that movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but B, so, you know, we're in this church, right? This, I assume, deconsecrated church. Yeah, yeah, But presumably yeah. still haunted. It's still got all the stained glass windows and everything. All the, the ghosts of nuns uh, past and that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. Um, but then you have Grady Hendrix... In the front of us with a slide projector so he could show us the covers of the books as he goes through his speech wearing a white seersucker suit and a black tie. And it's 95 degrees outside and also maybe 80 degrees inside. (laughs) And he's got a microphone and we come to the part of the presentation where he's imitating both sides of a conversation between Christopher Pike and God saying, (laughs) yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I can write that book. I can write that book. And it is amazing. It's so funny. It's so inspiring. Daniel Is It Real was my favorite film of the festival. This was my favorite experience of the festival. And we knew going into it that it was going to be really rad because we saw Grady last year at the Chattanooga Film Festival doing uh, part one of Paperbacks for Pound. Yeah. Yeah, and I, Grady is the kind of person who I, I think comic book fans can appreciate sort of what Grady does. Because I think as comic book fans, you know, we love to kind of see what's going on right now. But we also love to dig into the past and chart the course and the evolution of the genre. Yeah, and the things that have contributed to it. Like, that's part of the love of comic books, sure, right? Sure, sure, for sure. And I think Grady's approach to Pulp Fiction is exactly the same concept. And, you know, you can go to Grady Hendrix's website and you can find where he's going to be next. And I would highly recommend that. If he's coming anywhere within your distance of your house, you got to go. And I'm talking like it's worth a two-hour drive. Oh, for sure. I, actually, it's worth a 17-hour drive from my perspective because as soon as I saw – Grady tweeted out, I'm going to premiere my Paperbacks from Hell 2 at the Overlook Film Festival. I literally said to Brad, well – I gotta go. Yeah, Billy says, I'm going, and I go, well, you're not going without me. Uh, So that's how we ended up on a 17-hour drive to New Orleans. Right. uh, To see Grady Hendrix. And guess what? Worth it. Absolutely. So we drove 17 hours. You should definitely drive two hours. And if you want an idea of what that presentation is going to be, you can buy his book, Paperbacks from Hell, which is a really cool coffee table book where he writes about these young adult books, the Christopher Pikes of this world, but but also just, uh, you know, the horror uh, 
boom in general of the 80s. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this Paperbacks from Hell 2 is focused exclusively on YA, but Paperbacks from Hell 1 was the horror paperback boom post-Stephen King, basically. Right. right. And and I think, you know, to be clear, it's, you know, with the Christopher Pike reference, I think it kind of seems like he likes to dig into the big name stuff, but Paperbacks from Hell 1 really digs into some of the, the niche authors that you probably would have no idea sure. that were out there doing amazing yeah. things. And yeah. I, I love that. About and, it. you know, one of the cool things about Paperbacks from Hell is that he's read everything yeah. and he's found legit great art within these books. Absolutely. And so, you know, we all dismiss like uh, R.L. Stein, whatever, but then he goes, look, you should check out you know this particular Christopher Pike book, or an author that I can't even think of at the moment. Oh, I'm I'm uh, as soon as we get back, the first thing I'm doing is buying a Christopher Pike novel, and I'm probably going to start reading these every evening. I'm going to check out Jack Thomas. I think it was Jack Thomas who was the Elmore Leonard of YA fiction, which sold, sold, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we talked to Grady. We talked to uh, Adam. Our first conversation of the weekend was actually with Larry Fessenden. Uh, who's amazing. Um, I mean, if you don't know who he is, he's like, he's sort of a, oh, am I going to be mean if I describe him uh, as... I'm oh, going to I'm gonna wait and hear how you describe him. Let's, oh, gosh. Bring it. So Larry Fessenden, first and foremost, is a maker of movies. He'll act in your movie. He'll produce your movie. He'll direct a movie. He'll write a movie. Whatever it is that comes to filmmaking, he's doing it. He runs a production company called Glass Eye Picks, um, which makes a lot of sort of uh, right on the frayed edges of art style. These are his words. The frayed edges of art for outsider artists uh, who want to make genre films. And he really leans into that. But his acting roles, I mean, he's been in all the big name movies that you could think of. As I mean, right actor. now he's in The Dead Don't Die, the new Jim Jarmusch film with Bill yes. Murray and Adam Driver, which we saw at the Overlook Film Festival. It premiered the fest. It, that is a really enjoyable movie, and Fessenden is great in the movie. Absolutely. But, I mean, he's done movies with guys like Martin Scorsese. Yes. No big deal. Yeah, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, so, you know, like, uh, he's uh, he's just a, a person whose passion for film uh, and filmmaking, I, I, I totally can But, to. you know, his films, I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff, but he's primarily known for his horror movies. Sure. He directed Habit. He directed The Last Winter. He directed... Uh, Wendigo. Wendigo. And now he's got this new film, Depraved, which is a modern-day twist on the Frankenstein story. Yeah, and I, I, I sometimes kind of think that there is a... a, a like an intersection, a cross section of fandom who, you know, people who love comics love those classic monster, oh, universal, uh, universal monster, monster stories. Yes, yes. Art, we're going to talk about Art Adams and Creature from the Black Lagoon in yeah. a moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, Depraved as, as a twist on the Frankenstein story, I, I think really worked. You know, in our conversation, he kind of undersold the movie as sort of a like a, a low budget thing that I <laughs> he did. He kept apologizing and... for how small its budget was. And, <laughs> and you're like, oh boy, we're going to go watch Depraved and it's going to be a hunk of junk. Uh, but it wasn't a hunk of junk. No, it was my At second favorite all. film of the festival. Absolutely. Um, and he leans, you know, way into the Frankenstein metaphor. And uh, I, I just, I, I adore the film. It's, it's, it was great. But it was a real joy to, like, be in the same room with him. Super surreal. Very strange. I really had to pinch myself multiple times because, yeah. you know, it wasn't 
you know, a 10-minute conversation wasn't a 15-minute conversation. It was an hour-long conversation, and we were popping beers and laughing and having a blast. But in talking about the origin of these sort of monster stories yeah. and their evolution through the yeah. genres they go along. Right, which... I, right. I think the first question that we asked him was, so how do you feel about Frankenstein? And then we were just off to the races. <laughs> right. He, you know, he dropped his cell phone on the table with the... Uh, 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 Boris Karloff. The Borla Boris Karloff Frankenstein image on the back of yeah, it was yeah. like that's kind of a big deal yeah real 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 deal yeah so that was a really cool conversation um Depraved is coming out uh, September 13th, Friday the 13th. Accurate. Uh, like the week after It Chapter 2. Yeah. So, guys, if, if you're into horror, go see It Chapter 2 because that looks like a lot of fun. But go support Depraved. You're, you are going to like Depraved. It is, you know, and we talk about this in the, the interview, but, you know, there's lots of Frankenstein twists and, uh, you know, uh, adaptations and just a whole bunch of dreck out there. I would put this in the top tier Frankenstein stories. Yeah, I love the story. And remember, it's low budget. It's it's art. <laughs> Don't undersell it, Billy. It's good. It's it Don't is be good, Larry Fessenden. There's man. There's so much emotion in it. There's a lot to connect. With. And um, I would say, amazing performances. It's the performances that really sealed the deal. Sure. Uh, on the film. Uh, okay, and then we spoke to Mick Garris. Whoa. Uh, he's out there promoting Nightmare Cinema. Because we were busy doing uh, interviews, we were unable to see the film. We are crushed about that. It will be out on June 21st uh, in select theaters and on VOD as well. It is basically the Masters of Horror idea where he gathers a bunch of really rad uh, filmmakers like Joe Dante and says, let's go make some short films together and yeah. package them in an anthology that is tied together through Mickey Rourke's projectionist character. Yeah, sold. I'm, I'm done. I mean, like, I don't think that you can really understate the fact that, like, Mick Garris is getting the idea of getting the band back together to go out and make genre stories again. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything like Masters of Horror I would say there. Twilight Zone right now on CBS All Access has that vibe. Of course, it has more mm. of a Twilight Zone sure. vibe. Sure, sure, uh, sure. But if you liked Masters of Horror, I would think you would also currently like the new Twilight Zone. I yep. love it. Lisa loves it. Um, what a lot of our conversation was about that that torture, that emotional gut wrench that he experienced when Masters of Horror was canceled after season two on Showtime. Yeah. And how it then mutated into fear itself and it stopped being his baby. And then he tried to get a short film idea turned into a feature and then that feature didn't take off and he had to truncate it and then it he found a way to turn it into a segment of Nightmare Cinema. I think it's a really great conversation for understanding that, you know, you can have a passion project as a person who lives and breathes ideas, um, but at the end of the day, it's a business, and you have to translate those ideas into things that can generate funding and interest and all that sort of stuff. And from like a creative mashup with business approach and the the twists and turns that you have to go through with it, I think it's really fascinating, insightful yeah, conversation. Yeah. And you know, Mick Garris is a master podcaster, right? Yeah, he hosts Postmortem on the Fangoria network um and he talks to 
also, you know, a bunch of rad filmmakers. He just had Stephen King on, uh, chatting up the 25th anniversary of The Stand. So, you know, he's he's an orator and he's a great interviewer. And it's wild to have him in the hot seat on the Itmod cast. Well, I know. And, I, like... It's a it's a pinch yourself moment, yeah, right? Yeah. Just be sitting in there like, and you know, I don't know, man. Like, we were up in the second floor of this uh, the International House Hotel in New Orleans, and um, <laughs> we we got up. We basically had that floor all to ourselves. It's where they have their conference rooms, and, and right. you know, and there was nobody up there. And no? Nobody was up there, yeah. and it was just. Us, Mick Garris, and Mick Garris' wife in the other chair listening in. Yeah. And it was just just a was total delight. cozy and wild yeah. and lovely. Yeah. Amazing. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, our final conversation was oh, with... Well, oh, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I was going to say... Please you know, do. Part of the event, so when we went to see Deprave the next day, the screening right. of that... Yes. Um, afterwards, Larry Fessenden came out and Mick Garris came out and they recorded a live episode of the Postmortem podcast where Mick Garris interviews with Larry Fessenden. So I'm not saying you have homework coming out of this podcast, but if you wanted to listen to our chat cast and then go give a listen to that, you know, I, I don't know who gets the better conversation. I'm not going to say. Uh, it's us. But, um, <laughs> what, but what, I definitely think that, uh, you know, if you if you enjoy interviews with filmmakers, go give a listen to uh, Postmortem and his conversation with Larry Fessenden. Yeah, it's, it's a great conversation yeah. and a very different conversation. It's also unique in the fact that it was a presentation. So it was like a Q and not a Q&A, but it was a post-screening event on a stage in front of an audience. Right. Whereas our conversation was about totally different things. And, and much cozier much and much cozier. easier. Yeah, and yeah. beer was involved. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but lovely, lovely stuff all yeah. around. And I, and I think not really any overlapping content. No, no, none at all. Yeah. Uh, our final conversation was with the filmmakers behind Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Uh, again, it was you know, Dr. Robin Armin's Coleman, Ashley Blackwell, and Tanana Reeve Du. You got it. I got Yeah, I got it? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, very important conversation because horror noir is a significant document. Uh, if you have Shudder, I hope you've already watched it. It's worth getting a free trial just to watch horror noir. Uh, do you agree with me, Billy? Because oh, you just watched it for the first I, time. Yeah, I agree. I, I had been aware of Horror Noir for some time. And, you know, when the opportunity came up to chat with them, because they had uh, brought it to the Overlook Film Festival for a screening, um, and we had a chance to talk with them. Obviously, you got to sit down and watch it. But, yep. oh, my gosh. You know, I was, like, so they deep dive into the history of uh, African-American contribution to horror film, um, from the beginning of cinema yep. uh, all the way up uh, to Get Out is yep. really sort of how yep. they bookend that conversation. Um, and look, you can watch it for a deep dive into the cultural significance and importance of that contribution and the importance of representation on the screen. And I was fascinated and I loved it for that. Or you can watch through it and they've got an amazing list of movies that if you haven't seen, you're going to want to sit and watch it. Sure. And, you know... Uh, Robin, her book came out, Horror Noir, in 2011, and then Get Out comes out in 2017. Yes, and suddenly it's it rekindles the interest in black horror, and Ashley Blackwell, uh, you know, was a big fan of her book, saw this as an opportunity to bring that information from her book to an audience that's 
fresh out of the theater of Get Out and excited about black horror fiction and black horror cinema, and let's celebrate it. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, you like to use your phrase, it's a deep dive, and it covers stuff you'll know about. Um, you know, it talks about Tales from the Hood, it talks about people under the stairs, but it, you know, it goes back to, you know, as Billy said, the beginning, it goes back to, of course, Birth of a Nation, and, you know, uh, Tanana Revu talked about how black history is black horror. That's one of the quotes that sort of starts off this documentary. And yeah, it's I, important gets thrown away a lot in these kinds of conversations around these types of documentaries. But if you loved Get Out, I think it is important for you to look backwards as well as looking forwards, right? 100%. And that is the topic of the conversation that we have with these three amazing uh, women of color. But uh, yeah, and 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 I, it's two things that I would add on to that. And and the first thing is, you know, I they uh, as a trio start out our conversation by you know just pointing out the significance of uh, having three black women filmmakers uh, and uh, uh, authors and writers come together to sort of celebrate these things and the importance of that. Sure. And and it's huge. It's huge and. We recognize that, and I think it's okay to say, but we were pretty nervous as two white dudes going into this conversation because we truly cherish what they have done with Horror Noir, uh, and we wanted to do right by them through this conversation. Yeah. And uh, you'll have to judge for yourself how we did. Uh, and it, tr- it turns out that they're super smart and totally capable of handling all that on their own. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and nerves are, are a funny, funny, funny thing. <laughs> yeah. We're two dopes. Um, and we're, work, we're working on uh, being yeah. less dopish and probably never sure. will sure. Uh, succeed in that. Um, but, but those are the conversations that we had uh, in New Orleans at the Overlook Film Festival. Oh, but, no, no, yeah. but the other thing that yeah. I was going to say, I, I think kind of the appeal for... Uh, uh, horror noir is the same appeal that we were talking about um, with like Grady Hendrix and uh, yes. talking about that we can all identify with as comic book lovers is really wanting to understand the history of the things that you appreciate and I think that's so essential I think it's something that we can and that's the common ground that like I think that we can all all get interested in right right because horror noir a history of black horror is not for black audiences it's not for white audiences it's for all of us yeah because yeah. it's important for I think everybody for to everybody. see that yeah. that history absolutely yeah. absolutely so right so amazing uh, work yeah amazing work uh, again another highlight of this festival before we move away from the Overlook Film Festival, Billy, I think we have to talk about what it's like going to a film festival sure. in the French Quarter of New Orleans. Whew. Amazing. Magical. Why? Uh, so, you know, the thing about New Orleans for me, I, I'm, I, I love that city. I think it's great. Um, but, like, there is a vibrance and, um, like, it is full of life and energy and creativity and love and passion and art 
And all of those things bleed together. And, and yes, there's touristy stuff that you can do. <laughs> there's um, a lot of touristy stuff. There's a stuff. lot of touristy stuff. Um, and we did it. And we did it all. <laughs> uh, but the, the touristy stuff is the lifeblood of that community. And it feeds into all that stuff so that they can do all of these other amazing things. There's live music on every corner in the city. There's beautiful paintings and art everywhere. Um, it's got a rich cinematic history as far as the history, uh, as far as the city goes. Um, but there's just so much art and passion for art there that to be able to go to a film festival that is itself a celebration of art in a city that feels built to embrace uh, life and art and passion is like... I really can't compare it to anything. It is a magical experience. Billy, did you have any good food while you were in New Orleans? I had all the good food while we were in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, like we drove in, uh, you know, uh, the way we did this trip is we drove from D.C. down to Chattanooga. We stayed with our friend Bex. Uh, Rebecca Felbin, who is the PR person for the Chattanooga Film Festival. Uh, yes. And, you know, she joined us on the trip down from Chattanooga, New Orleans. Yep. We drive into Chattanooga around 5 o'clock. Yeah. And we go right into a restaurant. I order barbecue shrimp and grits, oh. a wedge salad, oh. some sort of bourbon drink. Oh. Uh, Bex got, she got like a steak, but it had like buttered crab meat on top of it. Oh my god. And you had some sort of braised beef situation? Yeah, so you had steak and fries. Steak and fries. Frites. Yeah, uh, and it was it was to die for, as they say. Like, oh man, it was insanely delicious. I, you know, and it was so funny because this restaurant, um, Tableau, was right next to the La Petite Theater, which is just off Jackson Square. And the opening night of the film festival was just right there at La Petite Theater. Um, and so we we're like, oh, well, let's check out and see where the theater is. Oh, it's here. Gosh, I'm hungry. We should just go in this restaurant. And boom, we're in a restaurant. Yeah. And it's like the most amazing food that I've had. Yeah, $200 later, Billy. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, sure, 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 sure. And you should be mindful of that if you go to New Orleans that some of these restaurants are extremely pricey. But my goodness, it was worth it. Here's a something of note to say about entering that restaurant is that I was wearing my Infinity oh my. Gauntlet t-shirt, which you've seen on our Instagram page. And the uh, maitre d' immediately launched into taking a dump on Avengers Endgame because of my Thanos t-shirt. It was amazing. And he would, it was like, he meets me at the door, we start talking Thanos, we start talking Avengers Endgame, he walks us to the table, the whole table walk, Dump it on Endgame. Dump it on Endgame. We are seated. We are given drinks by our wait staff. He does not leave the table. He still wants to talk about his irritation over Endgame. Amazing. It was awesome. I like the thought process in his head. I don't know. Is like the mater d of the place. But you know what, man? I love that conversation. <laughs> it was something. It was something. I definitely will remember. Uh, I also had beignets for the first time. We went to Cafe Du Monde. Oh. Amazing. So good. Amazing. So Amazing. good. Uh, I got to say, though, a couple days later, we went to Cafe Beignets, and I had their beignets. They're better. So, I mean, that's a big part of New Orleans, is right? Like, beignets, beignets yeah, and yeah. coffee. And Cafe Du Monde. Cafe Du Monde. And I don't know, man. Like, I, It's all good. It's not like Cafe Du Monde was bad. Like, I went to Cafe Du Monde, I had those beignets, and I was like, well, this is my new favorite food. Every meal is going to be beignets. Yes. And it almost was when I was in New Orleans. I think that we had coffee and beignets every day. We did have coffee and beignets <laughs> every day. Uh, but I would just say, like, if you're going to New Orleans, sure, go to the more famous Cafe Du Monde. 
but then go test them out over at Cafe Vignettes because wow, wow. Shorter line, uh, they come out scalding hot. They go right in your mouth. You burn yourself on the first bite, um, but then you uh, take the second bite. It's a little less hot and uh, more delicious. Billy, are we going to get in a car accident? No, right we're now? doing okay. We're okay. doing okay. All right, all right. Because podcasting and driving is totally safe for the passenger. <laughs> well, sure, sure, sure. I'm 95% paying attention to the road. We're good. Yeah, so we had that. We I had multiple po'boys. Uh, I had, at the Hotel Peter and Paul, fried Brussels sprouts. And, mm. whoa, whoa, those were good. So good. Yeah, so the food's amazing. The culture's amazing. We went on Bourbon Street. That was Bourbon Street. We we did the Bourbon Street. Um, we saw live music. Sure, yeah. We had a couple shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good I drank time. a fishbowl of a pink liquid. Can't say I endorsed that choice, but uh, you did it. It was at the Prohibition Bar, and I saw a sign that said fishbowls $12, and I said, I would like one of those, and they got a fishbowl, and then they filled it with pink liquid, which they would not tell me what it was, but I'm guessing it's some sort of fruit punch vodka combo. Uh, I would assume. I drank half of it. Yeah. While we walked around late at night. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a picture or two floating around on the social media. There are. There are. Uh, it was pretty adorable. It was, again, super hot out, right? And I kept uh, brushing my my sweaty hand through my hair. Wait, okay, so, but I, just to set the stage very quickly. Okay. When he says fishbowl of alcohol, he's not talking about a cup that might you might jokingly approximate as a fishbowl. It was literally yes. a plastic fishbowl. Yeah, yeah, no handle. No <laughs> handle that was full to the brim uh-huh. with punch and vodka. Right, so I would carry it around one-handed because I have this monstrous monkey hand, right? And uh, uh, the 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 liquid would splash onto my hand as I was carrying it. And then I would rub my hand through my hair. And by the time I got home, I was too tired to have a shower and also maybe too drunk. (laughs) And I crash into bed, sleep in my clothes, wake up, I touch my hair, and it's, it's like cotton candy. Yeah. It's yeah. disgusting. Yeah, it was. I've never been so happy to shower in my life. <laughs> uh, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, I bet you appreciated that. <laughs> I did appreciate that. Uh, so anything else we want to say about New Orleans? Uh, if you can go to the Overlook Film Festival, I think it's something that's worthwhile. New Orleans is a magical place, of course. Uh, but the movies and the way that the festival is set up and structured is very conducive for people coming out. Being able to dip into a movie here and there as they see fit, some lovely events, amazing events that they can check out, or just say, you know what, I'm going to take this block off and go walk around the city and have some some coffee and some beignets. Yeah. It's amazing. Right, for sure. Yeah, agreed 100%. Highly recommend it. It's one of those festivals that starts on a Thursday night and then goes through Sunday, uh, but it seemed like most people left on Saturday, and Sunday was much uh, more relaxed uh, yeah. afternoon at the movies. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's the Overlook Film Festival. Uh, before we get out of here, we gotta we gotta talk some comic books. I agree. Um, as I said at the start of the show, I read Art Adams's Creature Features anthology, which was published by Dark Horse Comics in 1992. This copy that I brought with me in Billy's car is the copy that I bought from another universe in Springfield Mall when that shop still existed. And uh, Art Adams has a very unique style it's a uh, overly detailed um, 
gorgeous, gorgeous line work and perfect, perfect for two characters, for many characters. He's, he's an amazing artist. You look at his X-Men work, his stuff that he did on Longshot is, you know, iconic. But his work on the design, the character work that he does on Godzilla and the creature from the Black Lagoon is um, unbeatable. I, I don't think I've ever seen a creature from the Black Lagoon drawn as well by anybody else other than Art Adams. And I would say the same thing about Godzilla. And I've seen Godzilla done many times by many amazing artists. James Stokoe's Stokoe? I don't know. Stoko? James Stokoe? We've already established I can't pronounce names. But his uh, Half Century War Godzilla book that he did also with Dark Horse Comics is a masterpiece. But even his Godzilla doesn't quite meet the brilliance of Art Adams' Godzilla. So that's where I'm coming from. And Creature Feature starts off with a Creature from the Black Lagoon story, goes into a Godzilla story, and then ends on a creator-owned story of Monkey Man and O'Brien. I read the Creature from the Black Lagoon adaptation. And, you know, I know, Billy, you're a, you're a fan. You're a fan of Creature from the Black Lagoon? Yeah. Why is that? The Universal Monster movie? Yeah. Why? Why do you like it? Oh, why do I like it? Yeah. Oh, man, because, like, the Universal Monster Movie stuff, A, first of all, are just really great horror stories that they crafted. I mean, there, there's a reason that those classics have stuck around. Um, we also, uh, th this year's Chattanooga Film Festival, had a chance to speak with Mallory O'Mara about her book, uh, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, about uh, Millicent Patrick's work to create the, the actual creature design and costume uh, that you saw in the original uh, movie Creature from the Black Lagoon. Which is, bar none, the best creature design ever? Yeah, well, no, I mean, and that's, I think that's kind of the thing that comes out is like, right, like even when you look at Guillermo del Toro's uh, Shape of Water. Which is awesome. Which is awesome and a lovely movie. Um, their design of their creature, their fish man, starts at what Millicent Patrick did for Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, you know, coming up about a century ago. Right. But does it perfect on the Creature from the Black Lagoon and Shape of Water? Not, and that, again, I don't want to trash on Shape of Water. That's one of my favorite films of recent memory. Sure. And it's one of my favorite monster designs. And sure. what Doug Jones does with that costume is oh, uh, Doug Jones is, is amazing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Doug Jones, he should be on our podcast. <laughs> um, but the cr there's something about that original creature design. Yeah. If I was to remake that movie... Would you change it? No. How could you? I wouldn't change anything about it. What I would do is what Art Adams does. Give their um, interpretation of it. You okay. use the materials of today, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and, and you craft the same design. Not, not necessarily the same mold, but really close to the same mold. Sure. You don't want to stray too far from it. Sure. Because when you look at Creature Features and his adaptation, it is new and fresh and unique, but it is still the creature. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if I necessarily feel that way about Frankenstein's monster or Dracula or the Wolfman. I accept more variation of that monster. Creature in the Black Lagoon is perfect from that first film. Absolutely. It's a good story, too. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of scientists, uh, they they uh, go down to uh, South America. They find a fossil that indicates 
maybe a missing link or a variation of uh, humanity, an amphibian man, and they need to go investigate the location where this artifact was found, and that's where they run into the creature. And, uh, you know, all the scientists are all, like, you know, 50s uh, know-it-all do-gooder dudes, and uh, the, the female scientist uh, falls under the the vision of the creature and the creature like King Kong is immediately attracted to the female lead of the story and pursues that person. And, you know, that's also again, where shape of water uh, takes that idea of, you know, beauty and the beast, what have you, and, uh, takes it to a, another step. And that's what I really appreciate about shape of water. Well, Guillermo del Toro gets that sort of what we wind up calling monsters a lot in our movies are, are, People are things that are being kind of othered, yeah. as it were. And he's got a lot of affection for the other. And I think that something about the creature from the Black Lagoon gives you that ground that you can work with. It's a very fruitful ground for storytelling, especially about relationships well, and stuff and how people interact with each other. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it takes the other idea and it says, what if the woman could love the creature back? Right. You know, and, uh, uh, and, and it, it becomes, you know, the, uh, like an interracial couple metaphor or, or, or what have you. And it's, it's I don't know, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to confront what we find as the other. You know, what others find as the other. And uh, what does it mean to otherize something? Well, and that's, that's certainly the lasting attraction to um, Frankenstein, which is yep. a lot of what we talked about uh, with Larry Fessenden. Yep, 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 yep. So I had a lot of fun reading uh, Art Adams' take on The Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, in being an adaptation, <laughs> it still highlights, you know, that, that dude-ness, the, sure. the baked-in misogyny of sure. the story sure. and the woman as an object. Sure. And, maybe, and, maybe important to say that up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Like, yep. Stipulated. Like that, that <laughs> is part of the original film and Adams adapts that as well. Uh, and, and it certainly highlights the fact that, oh, I'm here for the creature story? Yeah. I don't care about these guys. <laughs> uh, and when you truncate it into, you know, an 80-page graphic novel, you give even less time sure. to the creature. Sure. And it's it's frustrating because you're just like, I just want to stare at Art Adams drawing the creature. It's amazing. Uh, so I don't think this graphic novel is currently in production. I don't know if you can go to Amazon and purchase a copy, but I would bet that if you went to eBay or whatever secondhand seller is near you, like McKay's Books, while you're picking up Christopher Pike novels and yeah. R.L. Stein novels, yeah. uh, root around for the Art Adams uh, Creature Features trade. Yeah, you can't, you can't go wrong. Uh, you know, the creature and... Um, the female character. I'm such a terrible person. I cannot remember the act, the, not the actress. I can't remember the character's name. I want to say Betty because she kind of looks like Betty from Archie, but it's not Betty. Uh, but there, it is a couple. There are a couple of. Uh, there are a couple. That's a romantic relationship. It's not really romantic. Not in Creature with the Black Lagoon. Shape of Water is romantic. Way more. Yeah, Shape way, of Water. way, way more. Way You're more. way more comfortable describing Shape of Water as romantic than Creature, than Creature of Black Lagoon. Creature of Black Lagoon is <laughs> a monster movie, and I love it. I love it. It's probably my favorite of the Universal monster movies, and the reason it's my favorite is because of 
the design work. But I mean, and, and it's and it's cool, you know, because there are some lasting images from Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, the movie, that are gorgeous, um, that stand out, and it's always nice to see somebody who really leans into the visual medium, like a comic book artist uh, who makes really rad art, sort of take on kind of that visual inspiration. For sure, for sure. Uh, do I want to say anything else about uh, Creature from Black Lagoon? I think I'm good. Seems like you covered it. Yeah, you're good. Oh yeah. All right. Do we have anything else that we need to discuss on this bonus episode of CBCC? Only to once again remind everyone that Lisa is a way better participant than me, <laughs> and I can't wait for next week's episode where Lisa is back. Yeah, yeah. We, that'll be better. It most certainly will. Uh, but don't worry, Billy, because no one is listening right now. Because Outstanding. Lisa is not here. They tuned out. I don't know, six hours ago when we started this episode. Um, yeah. So, Billy, 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 where can our listeners, if they did go, yeah, this guy's not Lisa, but he's okay, maybe I'll follow him online somewhere? Sure. Where can they find you? Sure. As long as the bar is set at maybe he's okay, <laughs> I think you'll be satisfied uh, finding me uh, on all the social medias, uh, Twitter, uh, Letterboxd. Um, and Instagram at WBDAS. Uh, and you can also find me once again uh, at uh, Bill and Claire's Adventures. Uh, that's my podcast with my nine year old daughter, where we work to expand our cinematic horizon. You can find us on Twitter at BACEA Podcasts. And of course, you can find Brad and I's coverage of the Overlook Film Festival and the Chattanooga Film Festival, and Brad and Lisa talking with amazing filmmakers too. Uh, Cameron Yates' film, Into the Blue, right? Cameron Yates is coming, not Into the Blue. No, not uh, Into the Blue. Cameron Yates is Chef Flynn. Thank you, yeah, Chef yeah, Flynn. Yeah. Sorry, I, we have so many amazing <laughs> chats that are coming out to the chat cast. I, I get the titles mixed yeah, up. Yeah, so uh, this Wednesday we'll have uh, Cameron Yates talking about Chef Flynn. Last week, Lisa and I spoke to Iris Stephen Bear, the showrunner of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, right. about his documentary, uh, What We Leave Behind, or What We Left Behind. And then uh, before that, we talked to... Who was our... Who, who was the last cool person we talked to, me and you? Uh, Jeremy uh, Jeremy Gardner and Christian Stella about their forthcoming film, uh, Something Else, yep. uh, which just premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival on their uh, midnight lineup. And to, look, I love these guys. They made a movie, a zombie movie, about uh, love and friendship and what it means to survive a zombie apocalypse when you may not necessarily love the person you're with, yeah. but you got to work with them. Brad, I'm not looking directly at you while I say that. You you were, and I just decided to start off into the middle distance instead. <laughs> um, yeah, so go to you know iTunes or uh, Podbean and subscribe to the ItMod Chatcast feed. Uh, we could use your support, CBCC, if you're not doing it already. Uh, of course, follow Lisa Gullickson, my lovely wife, who couldn't be here today, or go to New Orleans and party with us at Sidewalk Siren. And next week, we'll be returning back to our regularly scheduled program of conversations surrounding Arthur and Mira, uh, talking about Aquaman Volume 1, The Drowning as part of the Rebirth relaunch that DC Comics did. 
and we are still using Dr. Sue Johnson's Love Sense as our relationship guide. And it's been a lot of fun so far talking about Mira Tidebreaker and the trench. I loved our conversation around the trench. Uh, I hope you guys did too. In fact, I know you did because we've gotten a lot of really positive feedback on that episode. And of course, you can follow me on all social medias at MouthDork. Follow the podcast at CVCC Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at cbcpodcast at gmail.com and then I'm going to do the outro Billy and let's see how you can end this Uh, keep your love tank full do you know the next line Lisa says and your psychic rapport open and your psychic rapport open there you go I should have said line Uh. (laughs) you want to try it again yeah 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 keep your love tank full and your psychic rapport open yeah that's not bad did I do it yeah again not as good as Lisa. But I got the words right. You got the words right. But I'm not Lisa. No, Lisa's you, way better. You're not. Actually, I not we should I shouldn't even be saying Lisa's lines. <laughs> well, probably not. Uh goodbye guys. Doopy doopy. <laughs> <laughs>